All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. Hey guys, on the line, I've got Dan McKnight. He is the founder and the director of bringourtroopshome.us. And of course, he's spearheading the Defend the Guard effort at defendtheguard.us. And man, he's making headway a lot. All I get is emails from you talking about how much great success you are having uh, around the country in especially pushing Defend the Guard, but uh, making all kinds of headway in all kinds of areas. So welcome back to the show, Dan. How you doing? Good, Scott. It's good to be here. Oh, yeah. Uh, so like I was saying, it's a quantitative fact that you're doing good. Tell us about some of the recent stuff that's going on here. Oh, man, we are. Uh, so the, I guess our big push is the, like you said, the Defend the Guard legislation and um, some of the hard nuts to crack, some states that we haven't been able to get into, we've found sponsors in and uh, some freshman legislators that are excited about the process of uh, reclaiming state control over their National Guards from the federal government. And uh, we've, you know, we were just down at the ALEC convention in Atlanta, Georgia last weekend. And What's we, that? Uh, ALEC is the American Legislative Exchange Council. It's a, it's a group of state legislators from all over the country that come together to talk about state-based legislation, 10th Amendment. Um, fixing all the real problems in the world without the federal government, doing it at the state level. And so if, if I had to say these are my kind of people, this would be the place. Great. Now, you listen, um, earlier today I was having a talk with a friend of mine. He says, by the way, I'm about to win a state house seat as a Republican. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. He's ahead, way ahead in the polls. It's essentially a done deal. I says, well, you can push defend the guard legislation as soon as you get in there. He says, well, they killed it in committee last time. Let me see what I can do. Say, hey, I know some Army guys who got your back. Yes, sir. We can set this up. Um, so this is just great. I mean, you know, this one guy, I mean, it's a miracle he's going to win this seat anyway, however that happened. But, um, and, and it's a miracle we got him. But then, you know, just him versus the rest of the House, that's not going to do very well, you know, uh, up against the leadership's wishes and whatever. But then again... If he can put on a hell of a show and really make them think twice, I've seen it with my own eyes a couple of times, especially as I've told you before, we've talked about before, but it's worth bringing up, is here in Texas, you were very impressive, sir, on the overhead TV screens. And they were <laughs> looking up at you, and they and the one guy was like, all right, well, let's talk about the legalities and all this stuff. He was the most interested one, that guy. Um, but then, uh, after you, I believe... We had, um, I don't know, a captain, a lieutenant, something like that, uh, who got up there to testify, a guy named Brian Sharp, really great guy. And he was from West Point. And when he told that committee that he was from West Point, I mean, it was better than saying he had three purple hearts or something like that. You know what I mean? It was like he was George Washington himself up there standing in front of him. And they're like, wow, West Point, like the West Point from TV? Whoa. You know, they were just blown away. It was huge. And then and and you're behind this thing is the the level of legitimacy that he was bestowing upon the effort. 
that you guys are behind. You might have some army guys who are interested in this and that, but wow, we a guy from West Point, and then, and it's just in the quantity and it's the quality of all of you guys. I mean, you and Diego and Jeff and and you know the leaders of the group and all this, but plus with a guy like Brian Sharp and and all the people you guys are bringing on, I think you know. Obviously, there's a lot of pressure from above against passing legislation like this. But I think you're going to have success in one or two of these states here pretty soon. You're going to have a governor. You're going to have a lieutenant governor who say, you know what? I don't I think we should get ahead of this parade instead of getting run over by it. I think you're right. And, uh, you know, the the tides of, of change, they're they're definitely upon us in, in the, the massive growth uh, and success, even though we don't have one that we can pit on the wall as, as past, just the growth and the success in the last three years, uh, it's, it's, it's not common. You know, good, good bills like even uh, constitutional carry, you know, in some states have taken 20 years. And uh, we're here in our third year and we're sweeping the country with uh, sponsors in, in, in over 40 states now. And uh, we've had great hearings in committees uh, where we've blown the doors off the committees with facts and testimony from, from veterans and constitutional scholars and great thinkers like yourself. Um, people are noticing us and we know they're noticing because they keep sending these guys to testify against us that look like uh, Colonel Nathan R. Jessup from A Few Good Men with a chest full of medals and stars on his collar. And you know you're getting attention when they when they call up the big guns. And yeah. uh, it's, it's, we know we're on the right track. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's the most exciting thing. And of course, Look, it just so happens to coincide with some of the best traditions of constitutional type governance here, where, for example, we have these lower houses of Congress and and upper ones, too. But we have these houses on the state and on the national level that, you know, if the people show up, they really can have a hell of a lot of influence over. And even on the national level, I mean, it's 435 little house districts. And so if people are really organized and can, uh, you know, find the pressure points and push them carefully, there's a way for us to really have an effect here. And you guys are showing it. And then, of course, by invoking nullification and interposition, uh, at least implicitly, and saying, you know, essentially, us guys are relying on you, our state legislatures, to protect us from being misused and abused and that kind of thing. Um it's just the perfect narrative. I mean, it's true. It's not like it's some kind of uh, put on. It's, you know, all based, you know, led by you guys, all of you guys at the leadership level here, at least combat veterans of the 21st century wars. And, you know, uh, as we're discussing Republican and libertarian leaning guys, which is not anything necessarily against the left, but just seems like you guys bring a little bit uh, more um, kind of gravitas. I need a better word for that. I don't like that word, but. <laughs> To Bill Clinton, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't like that crap. But uh, you bring a certain level of credibility to this argument that has been very difficult for others to really be able to put forward here. And and then your process for going about what you're going about itself inspires more confidence that this is just absolutely the right way to invoke the constitutional order against the American empire. Well, I appreciate that, Scott. I, I agree. I, it's, it's really, really tough. For some, um, I wouldn't say ignorant, but let's call them naive and maybe uh, uninformed politician to tow that company line. The, the you're with us or you're against us. We fight them there or we fight them here. It's hard for them to, to be that guy 
when they've been, they went to college, they had a career, they went into the legislature and they never served. When someone like myself or Diego or any, or, or, or Sharp or any of the other guys that testify show up with visible wounds and um, stories from the battlefront and carrying poles from our brothers and sisters in uniform that, that were over 70% of them have said, this is a waste, we shouldn't be in Afghanistan and Iraq. It's hard to tell the people that are pulling the trigger um, to go back and pull it again if they're not even willing to put their name on the line and declare the war. It's, it, it's a tough fight for them to fight and they look like um, elitists when they, when they take up that, that pro-war, all-war, any-war, any-day, any-time position like uh, Crenshaw or Mitch McConnell or Lindsey Graham or uh, Tom Cotton. Yeah. And starting with Pat McGeehan and then with the legislation that you guys are pushing here, and I've seen you handle these different state legislators too when they you know, ask you about all the details here, you are being perfectly reasonable. You're not saying that, no, the Army can't train our troops, no, we won't go anywhere at any time, and this, you know, hell no, we won't go type deal. It's just, no, we, this legislation is very specific. No overseas combat without a declaration of war. You're not trying to just sit there and, you know, like, I'm not saying this would be bad, but I'm just saying this is not what you're doing, laying down on the railroad tracks, bringing the war machine to a halt, like in this sort of, you know, um, kind of outlaw civil disobedience kind of a way. You're not just saying this should be the law anyway. It should have been all along, right? I mean, what's even to argue about here? You're, no, you're right. And, and, and we believe that it is the law right now, but it needs clarification. You know, the the uh, militia clause, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15, says that the militia or the National Guard can be called into federal service for only three purposes, right? To repel an invasion, to put down an insurrection, and to enforce the laws of the Union. Overseas foreign combat in, in wars of choice is not one of the reasons, but a declaration of war, a declaration of war becomes the law of the Union. And that gives the authority for the National Guard to go fight. And so if Congress will simply put their name on the line after debating and discussing it and hold themselves accountable, they should be able to take all assets, all assets to go fight and win a war and then come home. And uh, so I, anybody that's been to war is going to be a little bit anti-war. They should be. We've seen it. We've lived it. We understand the value of human life. But I don't want to ever be confused with an anti-war movement. We are not an anti-war movement. We are a pro-constitution movement that simply says if we're going to be a, a society of rules and laws – that we should follow our own dang rules and laws, and uh, and and so it, it's a tough it's a tough needle to thread. But I think we've got our message down. Where we'll go fight any war you that you think is necessary in the defense of America, if you're willing to put your name on the line first. And you is Congress, not the president. Yeah, that's great. And after all, I mean, look, they won't do it. I'm they old enough, Sonny. And I can tell you, I sat there and watched, probably live on C-SPAN, definitely I've seen the footage a bunch of times. I think I saw it live where, uh, well, 20 years ago, right around, Ron Paul introduced in the Foreign Affairs Committee a declaration of war against Iraq. Yep. And then he said in his statement, I will vote against this, and I urge you all to vote against it. But if you support this war and you're going to vote for an authorization to start this war— then you should vote for this declaration of war. Put your money and put your name where your mouth is, like in your constitutional oath. That, And, I mean, I learned this in at least junior high school, maybe even elementary school, but certainly in junior high school, that there was a reason that George Washington and the rest of them all agreed that Congress would be the ones 
who got to decide whether to get into a war or not, while the president would be in charge of enforcing it. And it was blatant, and they said it out loud. Maybe it would have been impolite that you can't trust the guy in charge of fighting it with deciding whether to fight it or not. You can't trust him to decide. It has to be up to the representatives of the people to declare war, to start a war. And no one questions if the British invade from Canada that the president would have the right to organize troops in immediate defense of the country. But we're talking about starting a war, which Americans often want to do, you might have noticed. Just just a couple, Taiwan, Ukraine. I mean, we're just looking at a couple of minor ones right now. At any time. Yeah, I was. somebody convinced me to start watching the show Veep, so I'm doing a little binge-watching of that thing. And uh, at one point, Elaine from Seinfeld says to the guy, she goes, what is it? Are we at war? He goes, this is America. We're always at war. But anyway, it was about whatever the crisis is, is something else entirely. Right. But of course, that goes without saying that we're at war. Don't be silly. Um, all right. Now, so tell me about uh, seeing you at Freedom Fest. And then you went to this Alec convention. Tell me about the people you meet and the conversations you have and what difference it makes. You have a couple here, as you mentioned there, you got some uh, state delegates and, and Congress people pledging to introduce your, or, you know, at least co-sign your legislation next time, this kind of thing. Talk to me about the success you're having with people, Dan. Sure. Absolutely. So I'll tell you a quick story about one conversation in particular that is, is really stuck out from, from the Alec convention. Uh, we met, and I, I don't want to say his name or where he's from yet, but I'll, I'll give you some background. He was a, a two-star general in the state National Guard, and he's now serving in the legislature in, in his state. And he was a strong opponent of Defend the Guard when, when it was first brought. And uh, he stopped by the booth, and he goes, I know you guys. I know who you are. And I could tell it was going to be a, a contentious conversation. And so I just engaged him. We talked, and, and I asked him what his primary objection was to the bill, and he said, uh, it's unconstitutional. Yeah, we're going to lose money. We're going to and just gave the whole laundry list, all this, all the things. And I just had a conversation with him and kind of addressed each one one by one. And I would ask him questions about his thought and where he um, what he thought on the Constitution, what he thought on enumerated powers and on federalism and on the 10th Amendment. At the end of the conversation, he hands me his business card and he says, I think I may have misunderstood your bill. He goes, call me. We need to talk. And that's the education process that Bring Our Troops Home is, is engaged in. We know we're not going to go out there and be able to um, force our way through any committee, force our way through any house, or force a vote anywhere. We're going to have to educate people um, using real principles, using facts, and using the Constitution itself as our textbook. And uh, so whether I swung his vote or not, and whether he's going to support it or not, it, it doesn't matter. It just shows you that people, once you open their eyes and the veil is lifted— and they understand that this is not a radical effort. This is a this is pretty sound and pretty based, and uh, it's hard for them to debate against it. Uh, so that was one. Uh, and then your Freedom Fest in Las Vegas is a different crowd, right? It's not state legislators. It's more fanatics of freedom. You were there. You you know the people. And we know that we're making inroads when we're able to walk through the convention floor, walk into the big conference rooms, or stand at our booth, and people come up and they're like, "I know you." You're the defend the guard guys. You're the bring our troops home guys. You're the guy who called your your governor from the top of a mountain in Afghanistan. Oh my God, I can't believe you're here. And people taking pictures with it. We we're not trying to be celebrities. I'm just a I'm just a guy, right? I'm I'm not even an attractive guy. I'm just a guy. 
and people know the effort and they love the effort and they recognize it. And, uh, or they'll say, Hey, I heard you on, on, on Horton show, or I heard you on lines of Liberty, or I heard you on this show or that show. So we know that the message is spreading and we've the, the repetitive nature of the message is starting to catch hold. And, and you know, that all good messaging requires duplication and, and repetition. And, uh, we feel like we're, we're really hitting that stride right now. And, uh, and then the last conversation I, you know, we'll talk about is, is a freshman legislator that, that stopped by the booth and we talked to never heard of it. He was a member of the air national guard. And, uh, he'd said, well, tell me what you guys do. Who are you? What do you do? And we gave him the 32nd elevator speech, you know, that we proposed legislation that would keep the national guard from deploying to overseas combat. And he stopped me right there. He goes, without a declaration of war question mark. And I said, yes, he goes, I'm in. I'm in. I've been dying to do something like this. I couldn't, I could never square the circle. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know how to do it. But the concept was alive in him because he understood principles. He understood yeah. constitutional freedom and a constitutional uh, republic. He understood the concept. He just didn't have a mechanism. He didn't have a vehicle. And now we're going to give him the vehicle and the institutional support, which is something we're building right now, to get it done. Yeah. And the, the growth is it's organic, it's natural, and it's easy to spread uh, when you're when you're there's no there's no uh, deception. There's no ulterior motive when the message is pure. Yep. Totally right. And look, man, everywhere I go, I meet veterans and obviously it ain't a scientific poll or nothing. It's libertarian party groups and mostly speaking to and that kind of thing. It's people who show up to see me speak. But I meet a lot of veterans and all I ever hear is attaboys and along those lines. And nobody ever says, you don't know what you're talking about, fight me or whatever. It just doesn't happen at all. Um, and I get a lot of, uh, well, you know, a lot of people bring you guys up to me. And I think, you know, look, not in a cynical way. It just it is what it is, man. It's a social psychology thing. If anti-war means Janis Joplin and Dayglow bubble letters and whatever kind of some old cliche from some previous time, then we're sunk. But yep. if it's people like you who are leading the move against foreign interventionism like this and in this manner, then it's just an entirely different animal. Uh, it's a whole different approach. And it's one that, you know, as you can see, it's uh, like in a jujitsu kind of a way. It just gets around all of the defenses um, of, of all the cliches uh, left over from Vietnam and that kind of thing. It just defeats all that in the same way that Ron Paul did, in the same way that Donald Trump did, for that matter, when he declared numerous times that American intervention in the Middle East was the worst thing America had ever done, the worst <laughs> mistake any president had ever made, the dumbest policy anyone ever decided on. I mean, wow, thanks, Donald. He didn't really implement the withdrawal I liked the scene, but... Boy, did he implement the idea that right-wingers don't have to pretend to believe in this stuff anymore. Not at all. It's just not believable. And so, you know, I think what you guys are spearheading here is just, you know, it's a cultural phenomenon, you know, even, you know, much more than it is a push for any one piece of legislation here. And so, and I know, too, from, you know, talking to vets, it's nice for them to have somewhere to go, you know? Um, bring our troops home.us and defend the guard.us and join up with a group of guys who've, you know, also been there and understand and where they're not, you know, kind of a fish out of water in a group full of just 
different kind of people they can't relate to or whatever like that. And it's especially for ones who've changed their mind about the wars, who want something to do about it. And here's something where you're really pushing on levers of power and really doing something where... And just think about everybody, you know, Dan and Diego and the boys up there testifying. And then how many soldiers do they have standing behind them? Five, 10, 15? How about standing room only in the auditorium as they're testifying? And it's all guys who've been to the wars and back, of which there yeah. are millions in this country now who've been to the terror wars of just the 21st century here. That's what fact. if when Dan testifies up there, he's got 75, 100, or three or 500 people standing behind him saying, yeah, that's what we think too. And it's all in the name of sparing the boys who were just turning 18, right? It's all in the name of stopping what's wrong here, which makes sense, right? I, and the way you, that you guys say it, it makes so much sense. So that's a call for everybody else out there. Absolutely. Sign up, and, man. And, you used to have that job. This is your new job. <laughs> Exactly. So you talk about that, having the people behind you, it is a very comforting position to have that that army standing behind you. And that's one of our biggest efforts right now, Scott, is we are trying to train that army. Um, and we've developed this this leadership training school and our first one's kicking off next weekend in, in Kentucky. And then we've got one in Arizona, one in New Jersey. Uh, we're taking the show on the road. We are going to build an army in any state that has a legitimate sponsor that's willing to stand up and lead the charge, we're going to put an army of veterans and their family members and those that are affected by these these nonstop deployments, we're going to put an army of well-trained, well-educated, tactical um, army behind you. We're going to pack the, the hearing room. We're going to light up the phones when it's time to start making phone calls. We're going to knock the doors. And ultimately, we're, we're going to start taking some, some people out of office, which we, we just did in Idaho this last primary election. We defeated the biggest opponent of the bill here in Idaho and replaced him with um, a strong supporter of Defend the Guard. Great. And so we're, we're building this army. We are, it, it, words are nothing. Words have to have action. And we've developed this leadership school um, that Diego has really kind of taken the lead on. He is he is the master of field work. That guy understands the field like nobody. And uh, his battlefield's no longer in Iraq or Afghanistan. His battlefield's gonna be in the suburbs of Lexington, Kentucky, and Austin, Texas, and Boise, Idaho. And uh, he's going to build an army that's well-trained and is tactical, is smart, and can maneuver um, quickly. And uh, we're excited about it. I think Diego's school that we're going to doing is going to be the, the, be the thing that puts us across the finish line in one of these states this year. All right. So how do people, you know, other than just bring our troops home.us, defendtheguard.us, they just click on the email list button there? Or how's that work? Bringourtroopshome.us, um, and then I think there's a, a new tab at the top that says leadership school. It does. Leadership class. And if you click on that, it'll give you a little bit of background about it and uh, about who we are and what if you want to start your own class. And then you can click there to either sponsor a class or fill out the form if you want to attend a class. And we're, we're, we're trying to find people that are willing to help us host these schools um, where all you have to do is help us find a room big enough for us to pack and then put some bodies in it. And we'll, we'll, we'll get on the road. We'll be there. So bringourtroopshome.us. Click on the leadership class. Um, that's the best way to find out about the school. To start getting the newsletters. Um, just sign up at the bottom of the homepage where you can put your email address in. And if you want to become a supporter, if you want to become one of the uh, the the inner circle of people that are really helping us push this mission, go to the 107club.com. That's 10, T-E-N, 7, S-E-V-E-N, club.com, and sign up for $10 a month. It's a reoccurring donation. You'll be entered to win 
all kinds of cool prizes. That $10 a month multiplied by the number of people across the country that support us keeps us going. It keeps the mission going. Um, we are all private donation run. We don't get any matching funds from government agencies or corporations. It's all small donors. And uh, that's how I'd ask people to be involved. And please join us. Become a member. This is a safe place for veterans who, who believe in the Constitution. We all raised our hand and swore an oath to defend the Constitution. Now let's hold those knuckleheads in Washington accountable to their oath uh, before they send us and our children off to fight again in a war that they refuse to participate in. Yeah. Hey, guys, anybody who signs up to listen to this show by way of Patreon will be invited to join the Reddit group. And I'm going to start posting stuff over there more. That's patreon.com slash Scott Horton Show. Thanks. Hey, y'all, libertasbella.com is where you get Scott Horton Show and Libertarian Institute shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, and stickers and things, including the great Top Lobsters designs as well. See, that way it says on your shirt why you're so smart. Libertas Bella, from the same great folks who bring you ammo.com for all your ammunition needs, too. That's libertasbella.com. You guys, check it out. This is so cool. The great Mike Swanson's new book is finally out. He's been working on this thing for years. And I admit, I haven't read it yet. I'm going to get to it as soon as I can. But I know you guys are going to want to beat me to it. It's called Why the Vietnam War, Nuclear Bombs and Nation Building in Southeast Asia, 1945 through 61. And as he explains on the back here, all of our popular culture and our retellings and our history and our movies are all about the height of the American war there in, say, 1964 through 1974. But how do we get there? Why is this all Harry Truman's fault? Find out in Why the Vietnam War by the great Mike Swanson. Available now. And now that's 107.com or 107club.com? 107club.com. 107club.com, great. And listen, this is something I think we talked about before about how you guys, you take this oath to the Constitution, it means so much to you because you could get your guts blown out over it. Where the rest of these guys, it's just a rubber stamp thing. It's just a box that you check when you get a job working for the federal government, you know what I mean? Or whatever branch of government. It's just a little ceremony where you guys are out there putting it on the line and that's your reason in vote. It's like, gotta protect that Constitution and that kind of thing, right? So... I can see where that could, you know, if it's well understood, uh, that could really come back to bite them the way that they use and abuse you guys in this way in the name of the Constitution. I think it just might spur some of you guys into reading the thing and figuring <laughs> out what it is that, uh, you know, who's been violating it and what should be done about that. So, um, you know, I've always, you know, kind of noticed the difference in, in, how seriously soldiers take that oath compared to civilian government employees, you know? Uh, yeah. When, when your life is on the line, the oath means a whole lot more because you have to have something to hold on to, to justify your why. Yeah. Why am I fighting a person I've never met in my life? Why am I willing to take their life? Why? Our why yeah. is because of that, that, that document. Yeah. Like even in the most absolute generic basic sense, like the constitution, I've heard of that. That was why Ron Paul got attention when he talked about it from the military in a way that it's, you know, the, the uh, civil service, they didn't go, wow, Ron Paul talks about the constitution. We really like that. They were like, Oh no, he's going to abolish the fourth branch of government. We can't have that, you know, but the military guys were like, Hey, this guy's speaking my language, you know, just like on the basic sense. Um, and of course, when you sign up for, to defend the constitution, it's got defend right in it. 
You're not really signing up to attack Iraq based on the whim of some jerk, you know? Right. So. Yep. And, and yeah. it was funny you mentioned that because Ron Paul, when he ran for president, uh, uh, he ran against uh, um, John McCain, right? And I think there was uh, was Fred Thompson, I think, was in that race too. Uh-huh. I'm trying to remember who some of the other people were. And and he, um, uh, Ron Paul got more donations from military members of the military than all the other candidates combined. And uh, it's because he was speaking the language that resonates um, to our core principles. And uh, it just just yesterday on the Ron Paul Liberty Institute, he had uh, one of our sponsors, uh, Bill sponsors, Anthony Sabatini on there, who talked about defend the guard. Oh yeah, and what, what he's going to do when he gets to Washington D.C. when he wins his congressional race, and uh, you know, Dr. Paul, the great Dr. Paul, is 100 percent behind our efforts on this. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, that's really great to hear. And so, how many states you get introduced? And I know that the legislative sessions don't all line up and this kind of thing, but just year by year, how's it going? Yeah, so we're, I guess I have kind of an amoebic uh, definition of this. So we have bill sponsors in over 40 states. That doesn't mean that the bill has been sponsored and submitted and proposed yet, because sometimes sponsors um, aren't good sponsors. Sometimes they horse trade bills that they're holding in their pocket before they submit them. So over 40 states have a good sponsor. Um, We're hoping to have it introduced and actually in document form where you can read it, find it, click on it online, um, on state legislature websites. Uh, in all 50 states starting January 1st through the next cycle. So that, that's the goal. And right now there's only about seven states where we don't have a real good sponsor that's willing to get it printed. And uh, that's that's the big push right now. Yeah. All right. So how do people sign up to get on the email list that comes from chairman at bringourtroopshome.net? You've been sending out some really great emails daily or every other day here. Um, yep. You know, and they all have great calls to action in them. And, yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, two way. Any, any of the websites. Any website you go to where you put your email address in. Defendtheguard.us, bringourtroopshome.us, or 107club.com. Any of the three. Mm-hmm. If you put your email address in there, you're going to be on our list. And 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 I don't know if you got it today though, but today's email that came out from from my desk um, about the assassination of Zawahiri. Uh, I did see it. it. Fire. It, it might be one of our the best pieces that we've put out. I was just um, about to ask you. Tell us about that. Look, none of us, none of us condone uh, the drone wars, right? It, it might be one of the most evil things that the United States has ever participated in. Uh, you know, faceless killing from a faceless machine from somebody sitting in a video game studio in Florida. Um, but we proved a couple things. We killed Zawahiri. He was the last piece of the 9-11 attacks, right? Him and bin Laden and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed were the three masterminds. And if you'll remember... The AUMF that was passed to send us to Afghanistan, not the Declaration War, but the AUMF, it, it called for the capture or killing of everybody who attacked us. Well, they all died. It called for the killing or capture of everybody that planned the attack, and it called for the destruction of the terror training camps. All of that was done, right? The only thing that was left was this Zawahiri guy, and nobody really cared about him because we'd already cut the head of the snake off. we destroyed everything else. Now that Zawahiri is gone, what what reasoning can the can Congress possibly have for keeping that AUMF open and active? Mm-hmm. There is no reason. So this we're going to celebrate the the assassination of this man because he was evil. I I don't like the drone wars. I don't dis- I don't agree with him. But now that he's dead, let's close this authorization of use of military force that's now 21 years old, and let's get back to a constitutional principle. And and lastly, we proved we proved all of the military talking heads wrong. We proved Liz Cheney wrong. 
we do not need a massive force of military equipment and soldiers stationed in the Middle East to kill enemies of America. We proved it right here. Not one single American had their boots on the ground when this happened. It was done by a drone in the sky with good intelligence. And again, I don't condone those, but we proved that we don't need a massive force. We don't need an army, an entire division or multiple divisions stationed in some third world country in the Middle East. We should add the caveat that we don't really know what happened there or whether they got him or not or what, but that's at True. least what they're claiming Back. so far. Right, right. And, and by the way, like on this particular guy, they've claimed to kill Al-Qaeda's number three guy a million times, but they've not claimed to kill Zawahiri repeatedly. They've tried and they killed a bunch of innocent civilians. I believe it was 73 women and children one time trying to kill him in Pakistan before. And, um, you know, there were rumors that he was already dead, although they weren't credible rumors at the time. I didn't think, and I still don't. It seems like, I don't know, my gut tells me that, yeah, maybe they did know who they were killing and it was him. But, you know, I was just talking with uh, Lori Calhoun and she was saying that, well, the reports out of Afghanistan is that there was an empty house and there was nobody there at all when they bombed it. So uh, who really knows? But I sure like the spirit of the thing, too, like you're saying. The AUMF doesn't say, oh, associated forces forever and ever and ever, including Al-Shabaab in Somalia and whatever you got. It doesn't say that. It says, get them what done it. And that was the law. And so, exactly. um, and we can always have a conversation another day about why Zawahiri was an enemy to America in the first place. That's, that's a different conversation, but it comes from really, really bad U.S. foreign policy. You know, we took a doctor whose mission in life was to cure and, and, and uh, heal people and turn them into one of the biggest enemies our country's ever had. And yep. that's that's what happens when America puts our, our, our nose in somebody else's business. Yep. And I make the case in both books, and I guess even better in the second one than the first, because I, uh, I had read the Delta Force guys book uh, in between the two about, uh, you know, Kill Bin Laden, Dalton Fury, uh, Thomas Greer's book. And... I think it's just clear as day that they deliberately decided to let him go. And I don't know if you and I ever discussed this, Dan, but I like bringing it up all the time because it's such a great, fascinating little thing that, you know, in both books, I can see that, hey, they did call in a lot of air power at Tora Bora under the direction of the Delta Force there. And they could have killed him that way, you know. So you can't say that they just did nothing to get him. It's just they refused to put in the ground forces the Rangers and Marines and, and even Green Berets that they had available on the ground to seal the border to Pakistan. But then I read this thing right around the time of the fall of uh, uh, the American regime in Kabul uh, around a year ago. They had a thing in Task and Purpose about how it was a profile of the one Air Force Special Operations Controller embedded with the Delta Force whose job it was to control all air traffic around Tora Bora at that time and call in all the airstrikes and everything else. And they talked about how there had been a friendly fire uh, bombing somewhere else in the country. And so all uh, airstrikes were temporarily called off for like a week while the Air Force straightened out their chain of command or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so in the meantime, this one air controller at Tora Bora had command over every American and British plane over Afghanistan during the first week of uh, December 2001. But then that's the joke. And, and, and it's just an aside in the article. They called them out of there and they called off all airstrikes on December the 8th. Wow. After the first week. 
And then that was it. And then, you know, it was widely believed by the CIA and the military guys on the ground at the time that bin Laden escaped on the 17th. So there's a huge caveat to my caveat that, well, they did bomb them. And then they called off the bombing of them before it got out of hand. So, God dang, man. But uh, anyways, um, I'm with you. Let's call off the terror war. Yeah, uh, it, it's long overdue. And, and listen, man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the work that you guys are doing. I think basically, I don't know exactly how to measure it. It's the most important phenomenon in the country, man. You and your team and what you guys are doing here. And all hail Pat McGeehan for coming up with the idea in the first place. And, and you and all of your guys for doing this work. Um, this is what's going to end the empire if it ain't the dollar breaking. You know, it's a race. Uh, right? Can the Federal Reserve destroy our currency before Dan McKnight and his boys can get the empire rolled back voluntarily, you know? You just put a lot of pressure on us right there. That's it, man. <laughs> hey, speaking of Pat McGeehan, um, he's he's facing a tough re-election up in West Virginia. Um, he right? stood tall on some on some very principled issues. He's never had a real challenger, and he's got one this time. And so if, I, if, if anybody within the sound of our voices hears this and uh, believes in what we do, um, look Pat McGeehan up on, on, um, social media and figure out how to throw that guy a couple bucks. He needs some help. Um, I, I can't advocate for his reelection. It's not my, in my IRS status, but, um, I can tell you that I can educate you on what he's done for the cause. And he may be one of the greatest, uh, philosophers, uh, of our generation. He's such a great guy. And yeah, I urge everybody to look him up. And uh, he is the guy who came up with this idea in the first place. And uh, it's one of the most important innovations in constitutional law, in practice, in our lifetime. So, hell yeah. And uh, thank you and all your guys again, Dan. You're great. You bet, Scott. Thanks for having us on again. Appreciate it. All right, you guys, that's Dan McKnight. BringOurTroopsHome.us. DefendTheGuard.us. Oh, and 107Club.com to give them your money. And guys, make sure to check out Diego's Leadership School at bringourtroopshome.us too. By the way, so I'm doing an event with you guys in New Jersey on October the 15th. And then on the 16th, we're doing some of this training with Diego, right, Dan? Right, yeah. We're at, it, I think it's the, uh, the LP in New Jersey is hosting uh, a big event, and we're going to speak at it on Friday night or Saturday night, and then the training's on Sunday. And, and I'm, I'm excited to have you there. In fact, I'm going to put you on the stage in training class and make you tell a story that, and I'm not going to give you a heads up of what it is, but I've heard you tell it. Uh, so be prepared to be a contributor. Okay, great, man. I'm down for whatever you say. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And I know I'm flying into Newark. Is that where the event is? I have no idea where the venue is yet. All right. Well, we'll have to figure all that out. Everybody figure it out. Uh, we'll see you on uh, October the 15th there. Thanks, Dan. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A apsradio.com, antiwar.com, scotthorton.org, and libertarianinstitute.org.